I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today is a bonus Free Cookies podcast. This is, well, I guess it's not really our first bonus, but this is the first of bonus podcasts that we intend on sprinkling sporadically through your week when you least expect it. I love that description. (laughs) Today's bonus pod actually is a result of numerous conversations that we've had over the last week about Nia Wilson, the young woman who was murdered in Oakland last week, and the discussions we've had in the aftermath of that about how best to be allies, how best to talk about the situation, how best to publicly engage in this conversation. Exactly. We wanted to make sure that we were finding a way to be impactful, which is in part why we started a podcast, was to have this medium where we can talk about matters that are Yes, humorous, but matters that are kind of flying underneath the radar. And in this case, a very sensitive topic that many people want to engage in, but they don't necessarily feel they have the tools to show up and be a proper ally or supporter. So our idea was to call in an expert in the field and just have a 15-minute discussion with them so that you all, our listeners, if this has been something that's been buzzing around your brain as you're trying to understand what's happening in our world, that perhaps this person can offer some takeaways, not humorous this time, but hopefully meaningful about how we engage with our world. So should we bring her on? Yes. Let's tell you a little bit about our guest before we bring her on. Melanie Klein, MA, is an empowerment coach, thought leader, and influencer in the areas of body confidence, authentic empowerment, and visibility. She's also a professor of sociology and women's studies. She is the editor of the new anthology, Yoga Rising, 30 Empowering Stories from Yoga Renegades for Every Body. And she is the co-founder of the Yoga and Body Image Coalition, which founded in 2014. She's been practicing yoga and meditation since 1996, and she currently resides in Santa Monica, California. All right, let's give her a call. Melanie, thank you. We're really excited that technology is being kind to us and that we are all on the phone together right now. Um, we, Kate and I both really wanted to have you on the show in the light of everything that's been happening and coming up with Nia Wilson because of your incredible wealth of knowledge and background. And while I know you personally, I, I would love for you to just take a moment to explain to our listeners who you are and, and why we immediately thought of you when we wanted to tackle this topic. Sure. Thanks to both of you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. And um, yeah, so I am a sociology and women's studies professor. I'm also an empowerment coach and the founder of the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. And I've been doing intersectional feminist work since about 1994, uh, a lot of it in the academic arena, as well as in you know feminist activist spaces uh, over the years, and have had really haven't had an opportunity to watch the community grow and change as the internet came into play. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my my background really a lot of it starts with you know the creation of zines in the late eighties and early nineties <laughs> to watching um, you know huge online communities come together. Um, 
and kind of elevating the issues and the voices that are at play with the shadow side that comes in as well. And so my dedication has really been um, in recent years, I'd say the last eight years or so, is to bring sort of a critical consciousness to mindfulness and yoga communities and at the same time bring uh, mindfulness practices into activist spaces. Awesome. And and it's this is probably for a separate podcast, but the way you and I were originally brought together was <laughs> basically one of those I felt well-intentioned but basically put my foot in my mouth, um, which I think when it comes to social justice is you have to learn the hard way. And you, you get knocked down and you stand back up and you have a new lesson. And uh, Sean Korn, who we both know very well, has mm-hmm. been one of the, the biggest teachers and friends of mine in this path to being a better human and a better ally. And I'm just curious, I would really love to get some nice digestible takeaways from you because I'm thinking about all the people out there who have maybe yet to put their foot in their mouth or, <laughs> or haven't had the proper social justice, the, the training in social justice, but they want to make a difference and their intentions in the right place, their hearts in the right place. Can you give us maybe some rules that are an outline that they can follow or questions they can ask themselves before they start speaking and potentially regretting what they say? Yeah. I mean, again, there's so much in that. There's like a million things I want to touch on. So I'm going to try to stay really focused here. And one of those things is to, you know, I know hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about what you had said you know, at the beginning of this little blip uh, at another time. But I do want to point out that um, part of the way we got to know each other is I felt really compelled as a, uh, you know, a white cisgender mm. uh, heterosexual woman who's been doing this work a long time to reach out to you so that my, um, you know, my, my sort of comrades in the struggle, if you will, and a lot of my other, you know, allies didn't have to explain something. I'm very sensitive to making sure that marginalized folks don't feel that they have to be in the place of always educating those who have different levels of privilege. And so I felt this was a great opportunity for me to sort of take up that task. And, you know, for me, it also was very illuminating. And again, I'll share that at another time, how I grew myself out of the entire interaction over the last couple of years. But for me, that's a really big thing is how can we um, really look at this in the most holistic or what we call intersectional way that word gets thrown out around, you know, all over the place. And sometimes I wonder if people really know what it means, but Mm -hmm. intersectionality is this idea that, you know, we have so many different, um, social locations in our lives, if you will, you know, we have, uh, a gender identity, we have a sexual orientation, we have a race and ethnicity, um, we have an age and so on and so forth. And that all of us have that. And unfortunately, most people only tend to think of these issues when it comes to the marginalized group. So let's say when it comes to sexual orientation, most people don't think about heterosexual people having a sexual orientation, or (laughs) they don't think about white people as having a race. And this um, intersectional approach is about let's go ahead and focus on where we may have disadvantages or obstacles, but also be really aware of where we have privilege, where we have advantages. And we can do that when we look at every issue, when we're looking at, you know, all the various players that, you know, that, that are in the field so that we can really approach it in a way that is more nuanced, um, that we're not falling into the extreme black or white areas of the conversation. We can see all the gray. Um, and we can also come into it with more compassion and connection um, without 
glossing over and assuming that everyone has the same experience simply because they're a woman, for example, in patriarchy. And so that's a really important piece is that if people can look at things in a multifaceted way, as opposed to seeing these issues as being separate, if we can understand that they relate, um, that, you know, our, let's say, uh, socioeconomic status is also linked to our race and or our gender. And when we can begin to do that, we can have, I think, not only more nuanced conversations, but they can also be a lot more heartfelt, a lot more open, and there can be a lot more progress. So I really encourage people to look into uh, readings and understanding more about what this means and how this can apply to whatever issues are currently at the forefront of their heart and their mind um, and not making assumptions about other people's identities or experiences, even if they share, you know, a similar background. Melanie, so as I tend to do, I need to relate it to sports, right? So, (laughs) no, Um, you know, a couple years ago, actually it's probably about almost coming up on two years ago with the NFL season. That was when Colin Kaepernick first, Uh started kneeling and a lot of the conversation in the aftermath in my world, in the sports media world, which I think is often a reflection of just sports fans, there was this uh, distinction between people in the media and Colin Kaepernick and what they're trying to represent and raise awareness for, and then also calling for like actual change, right? And so there's a lot of people saying that you know, if you were if you were just supporting Colin Kaepernick, you were doing a form of like virtue signaling. You just wanted everyone in your circle to know that you were on the quote unquote right side of something. Mm-hmm. And yet there was the question of whether or not that virtual signaling was really doing any real meaningful work. And I'm relating that to what we're seeing even in, in the last week or so. And after the the incident out in Oakland with Neil, when you know, you've got her murder and now mm-hmm. you've got a lot of people posting on social media. And there's this question between what is this virtue signaling where you just want people to know that you care about things versus what is actually helping and what is actually uh, supporting the cause. And how do you draw a line between like allyship and like capitalizing in order to virtue signal versus really meaningful change? That's such a great question. And, you know, I think it's something that we're constantly trying to figure out, especially as things are changing so quickly. And there are definitely times um, that I have been on the side of that that's frustrating uh, when individuals are doing that. And that's maybe as far as it goes that, you know, that they share a meme or they, you know, regram something. But if I'm honest and I look a little more longitudinally, I have to say, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes that can be enough for a person um, in the sense that I've done a lot of work, let's say around, you know, the commodification of yoga. Yet at the same time, I can also acknowledge, for example, that um, sometimes some of these images that we see and some of these things that happen might be the gateway drug, if you will, into a larger mindfulness practice. And um, that we can't jump to certain conclusions that people grow in their allyship. So maybe it starts with something like that. Maybe there's a certain uh, awareness that happens by having something cross their radar on Instagram. And, you know, they share it because they, they, they want to be, like you said, on the right side of things. But if we assume that every single person is going to stop there, then we're also coming into a place of judgment that's not allowing room for growth. And I'm at a place now where I really like to think 
that not everyone, but many of those people, this is just sort of the first step possibly in their own sense of social justice awareness. Um, and we can't deny the fact, like, let's be real, that sharing things on the internet is a great way to actually create a bigger conversation to grow the awareness that wouldn't happen otherwise. I mean, back in the day when we were doing things even without email, I mean, it took a lot to get things organized and to come together in person. And um, if we had these particular tools, I can only imagine that the things that I did in the past would have been larger. So even here, it's sort of a gray area that we can't just say it's bad or it's good or it's helping or it's not. I think that there's that place in the middle where, sure, there are some people that won't do anything else and maybe they haven't even read up on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I would like to think that there are actually a lot more people that this, maybe not this one thing or this other thing, but one of the things that pops up, whatever issue it might be, is sort of the thing that pierces their own heart and creates a certain pinhole of light that begins to expand. I mean, I know that was certainly true for me. And if anyone was judging me by my sort of, you know, feminist activism or awareness from 20 years ago, um, I probably would have shut down then, but it was a very different time. There was a little more space to grow. So I'm really committed to giving people more space to grow and believing uh, wholeheartedly that, uh, you know, if they share a meme, that's only the beginning of something larger on their own personal journey. Does that answer your question? It does. It totally okay, This good. is what we've been talking about nonstop for the past five days. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> and so would you say there's some truth with perhaps we need to offer more space for conversation and less statements? You know, it, not so much like a, a long, powerful, this is exactly how I feel, but hey, this is going on and I want to create a platform for everyone to have the space to talk. It seems like maybe we could all do a better job of listening instead of feeling like we have (laughs) such an overwhelming, strong opinion, perhaps. (laughs) Yes. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. Um, I really am hoping that there's going to be more dialogue in all spaces, like you said, as opposed to statements. Um, And that's where the shadow side comes in on all of this and why I think that if more and more individuals who are committed to this work, doing this work can bring in mindfulness practices and grow their compassion and grow their listening skills. It's going to be a lot more effective than it Mm -hmm. already is currently because it is effective to a certain degree. But I think that there's so much more room to grow as a movement. Um, And, you know, listen, when people first come to their own awareness of social injustice, um, you know, they're often incredibly angry and rightly so. I mean, when I think about my early years of coming to a lot of information that made my own experiences make more sense and, mm-hmm. and, and get rid of my own shame that I carried for a long time, I was freaking pissed. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, and incredibly militant if you want to use that language. And then, you know, there was time in my evolution where I understood that you know, my desire to just, you know, shove information in people's faces and shove it down their throats. I mean, if a guy wanted to date me, they had to like watch the burning times before they could even (laughs) date me. Okay. That kind of thing. I was like, that may not be working. And, um, but it was powerful. I mean, it was powerful for me to be sort of propelled into motion by my anger, but then eventually I learned how to channel it and move it and have it be something productive. And so if we can have dialogue even about that, 
I feel like we can create space for people to kind of evolve in the way that they're going to organically and authentically evolve. And, you know, we'll have less, let's say, white tears about that, less, you know, male tears about that. And we mm. can hold space for their own anger without taking it personally. And at the same time, not um, discounting our own role in the larger system. So it's all of this interplay of balance and it's this dance of listening and responding and being very responsible for our own selves. And sometimes, you know, I feel like in the internet and social media that, um, I don't know, the complexity and the nuances are lost. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Mel- Melanie, um, I don't think we could date because I hadn't, I hadn't watched the burning time. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I love that that's your takeaway from that well, conversation. <laughs> I quickly Googled it. And for everyone, it's a documentary from the 1990s, a Canadian uh-huh. documentary that presents, quote unquote, a feminist account of the early modern European witchcraft trials. I don't want to get stuck there, though. I just wanted to... <laughs> I just wanted to highlight that for our listeners. Now, you said a couple of things. Like, I think it was actually a previous answer. You mentioned that when you were first coming into some awareness about everything that happens in this country and other countries, um, that there was space for you to grow. That maybe, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you did, but maybe you made some mistakes in your language and certain things, but there wasn't this necessary... Uh, th- this this pouncing that we sometimes see happen now. So there was room to grow. That, I heard you say that, and correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong in how you said that. But so the, I translated to maybe someone in 2018 who is just coming into some awareness of social uh, justice and social is- issues. And I wouldn't really be shocked if they were scared to say anything <laughs> at all because we've had some history over the last few years that if you don't say something correctly, like there's a lot lasting impact for you. Well, the first thing is, you know, things moved more slowly back in the nineties. It's like, um, and not only that, but thank God there was no social media because nobody knows really who I was. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I can hide some of those things or work on some of those things where everything is exposed. The good old uh, days. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, just as a side note, if you wanted to get rid of a picture, you just got the negatives, which I did on a couple of occasions, you know? (laughs) like done but um but the point is that things moved more slowly and you know you had the space to grow because there wasn't a glaring spotlight on everything and the language didn't change as quickly sometimes I watch I'm you know I'm very very like tuned into things but I'm like oh whoa okay so there's been a a slight uh change in you know this language or oh we don't use this we use that and because I'm so plugged in, I see it fairly quickly, but I always think to myself, what about the person who's not, mm-hmm. who doesn't have a 20 plus year history in this, who is not even maybe that cognizant of the importance of language or identity issues. And they unknowingly, you know, are good intentioned, but they use some term or phrase that this month or this week is, you know, passe, this is no longer the way we do it. And they may get shut down. Um, that that's been a big concern for me. And I've sort of tiptoed around the periphery, watching that, trying to figure out, well, what's the best way that we handle that, that honors the individuals and the groups that, um, you know, are like, this is important, or this is why it's important. And those who want to, uh, participate and support. And so what I would say is before you publicly jump <laughs> into any kind of a dialogue, 
um, go do your homework. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take long. Just go, you know, uh, Google a few things. Go check out a couple people's profiles. You know, learn some names. It, it could take 10 minutes, maybe an hour. But that is a great way to not stick your foot in your mouth. It's just to see and to listen. Like you were saying, Catherine, it's like, really, let's listen a little bit. And at the same time, what's so wonderful about the mindfulness tools, especially, you know, what I've seen with the activists who have been using them uh, over the last few years is they respond very differently than maybe others who don't have those practices would, which is to say, hey, did you know or would you like, maybe you should check this out, which doesn't mean putting them in the educator role, but just get offering them something. Because what we have to realize is if there are people who want to support, but aren't quote saying or doing the right things. And if we completely annihilate them, we do ourselves a disservice because then we yeah. lose individuals who maybe have other resources, have different connections, or can use their voice in a different way, can influence their family that maybe we couldn't speak to or reach. Um, and so it really comes back to remembering that we're all in this together. <laughs> this impacts yeah. all of us. And we are so much more well-served if we, if we take the time to like do the dance, coming back and forth, doing the dance of listening and communicating and having conscious dialogue with an open heart that I mean that's the perfect place to end because you just dropped the mic <laughs> I mean bam and, <laughs> it's, and seriously thank you for educating in such a compassionate manner on such a delicate topic and so many people are benefiting from the work that you do in the yoga body image coalition and the books that you write and um and, and that being said please tell our listeners where they can find you what kind of resources you really recommend anywhere that you would like to direct people Absolutely. So uh, if people want to go on Instagram, which tends to be my favorite social media choice, um, I'm at Mel Mel Klein, that's K-L-E-I-N. And then the Yoga and Body Image Coalition is at Y-B-I Coalition. Um, there's a link to my website as well, where some of the books are, I would imagine. I know there's the sports background and the yoga background, even though both of you do so much more than that. But with that said, uh, given that orientation, um, the book, the most recent book, Yoga Rising, uh, is a great resource because it provides personal narratives, which are uh, a wonderful way to engage and connect and make things personal and make things matter. And I did that on purpose um, as opposed to writing something, let's say, more academic, because I figured if people could see themselves reflected mm -hmm in at least one story and or learn something completely different from at least one story, then there would be a huge shift made there. So Yoga Rising, I feel like, is a digestible and accessible read um, for the, a person who has zero background in any of this that will give them a really solid foundation. So Yoga Rising from Llewellyn, and they can find that at the link in my bio on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you, Melanie. We really Thanks, appreciate Melanie. you carving out this time. Yay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and I look forward to talking to you another time. Likewise. Bye. Okay. Bye.